So look, I'm not normally someone who follows the liturgical calendar. Who knows what a liturgical calendar is? Does that sound like I'm speaking in tongues to you young people? A liturgical calendar, it's the, the sequence of, of, of um, events in scripture that a lot of the traditional churches follow. You may be familiar with things like Christmas. Who's heard of Christmas? Okay, that's a pretty important one in the calendar. And we do follow that. We do celebrate Christmas. Um, Palm Sunday, we also, as a church, we try to remember some of these key events. Um, Easter Sunday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, and as, as a, a Holy Spirit-filled church, we, we love to celebrate Pentecost Sunday, which happens to be next week. Uh, and so, But for us as a, a church, for me, and that, that's probably been all the ones I particularly align my, my teaching or my focus on. Um, Jesus' birth, His death, his resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Um, but I think there is one event that I believe is as important as those ones. One event that doesn't really get much conversation. I, you know, I've been preaching now for 25 years full time, and I've never preached a message on this. Um, and I've been in church much longer than that. I can't ever recall hearing a message about this particular moment. Uh, in fact, this one moment I want to talk about, if this thing didn't happen, none of the other three would actually be as meaningful as they are. Has anyone started to guess or think what this event is? Who said that? That's right, the, the ascension. Um, and for the ascension of Jesus, who's ever heard a sermon particularly on the ascension of Jesus? Not probably. I, I, can't, who can, I can't particularly recall. I mean, my I even asked my mum, and we couldn't remember, could we? Um, and so, so I don't. I was surprised myself that I didn't actually have. I haven't attended to this, but then I let myself off the hook because you know what? Um, Matthew and John they don't even mention the ascension. Hey, that's a no. Not a good name. Mention the ascension. That's the should be my title of my sermon. We must mention. The Ascension. Say that to the person next to you. Alright. That's not really the title of my sermon. The title is up there. Now what? That's my message. What it is to live on the other side of Easter. So, so Matthew, Matthew and John don't mention the Ascension. Mark only gives a, a single verse. In fact, the earliest manuscripts of Mark doesn't even mention it at all. And interestingly, Luke is the only one that gives it significant time. In fact, Luke, probably making up for the other guys, tells it twice. He'll tell it at the end of his gospel, and he'll tell it at the beginning of Acts. And so, um, uh, as you've all guessed, the, the event is the ascension. We all know when Jesus returned to heaven. Does anyone know when that happened? It didn't happen today, no. Anyone? Did it happen straight away? 40 days. Well done. So, so we're going to see in just a few minutes, I'll take you to some scriptures that sort of help us explain and look at what happened in that space. It was 40 days. Uh, there is spec some speculation. Was it exactly 40 days after, after the resurrection? That's the window. Um, some would say, look, 40 days is quite a significant number in scripture, so it's a, it's a completeness type of thing. Um, but also... It's, we know it's less than 50 days because Pentecost came 
on the 50th day, and, uh, and actually events of Pentecost are, are intrinsically linked to the day of ascension, the day Jesus returned to heaven. And so um, uh, last Thursday just passed, our, uh, it was Ascension Thursday. Who knew that? Anyone buy an Ascension Thursday card for anyone, or, or an egg, or a present? We don't really celebrate it that much. And so, um, 40 days is what our scriptures would tell us in a minute. If you had 40 days left to live, sorry, if you had 40 days left on, on earth, if you had 40 days left on earth, what would you do? For those who wonder, in, in the 40 days that Jesus had, uh, he appeared eight times in the gospel as a resurrected man to his disciples and three appearances outside the gospel. So up on that slide there we'll see that, uh, I'm not going to read the verses, I'm going to point out, but then between his re- after his resurrection, Jesus appeared eight times. We see the Mary Magdalene in the garden. The other Mary and Salome also in the garden uh, appeared to Simon Peter, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, the ten apostles, Thomas wasn't there. Thomas got a bit, you know, kicked off. Uh, and so Jesus came again when Thomas was there. We got the seven apostles in John chapter 20. This is beside the seaside where Jesus um, cooks some food and restores Peter back to, back to uh, ministry. And then we got the apostles in Galilee in Matthew 28, which is typically where we associate the, the, the Great Commission, where Jesus says, you know, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, now go to all the world and make disciples. So, so within, contained within the Gospels, they are the eight accounts that Jesus actually appeared as a, as, in his resurrected form. The Gospels don't tell us, in fact, they don't give us much information at all what Jesus did in between those times. We don't know where he went. We don't know what he did. Uh, but we do know that eight times he did appear. In fact, um, outside the Gospels, we find uh, in Corinthians, tell Paul's writing, and he tells us Jesus also appeared to 500 people at, a, at once. He also appeared to James and ultimately to the Apostle Paul. And so, um, so that's what we know about what happened in the 40 days uh, before Jesus returned to heaven. And so we're going to come to the ascension accounts. Uh, as I said, Mark mentions it very briefly. Mark uh, puts it this way, only in the longer ending of the book of Mark. And Mark says this, When the Lord had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down at the place of honour at God's right hand. That's it. That's all Mark says. Uh, Luke would, uh, would put it this way. He would say, Then Jesus led them to Bethany, and lifting his hands to heaven, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. As I said before, I found it quite interesting that neither Matthew or John tell the story of the ascension. Now, we don't know exactly why they didn't tell the story, but what we do know about the Gospels is that each writer wrote with a very specific intent to a very specific group of people. And so and both Matthew and John's uh, audiences either likely knew all the events of the Ascension or for whatever reason the Holy Spirit didn't need them to communicate that or write it down to the people. It's, it's inferred, it's assumed, but it's not written in Matthew and John. Uh, however, they do present a teaching which is very consistent and in fact dependent on the fact that Jesus would return to heaven. So let's go to Acts chapter 1. And that's where we're going to pick up the, uh, the story. This is Agrippa, the, the Gospel writer Luke, 
Um, he, he wrote his Gospel of Luke, but then he wrote Acts. So they're like two parts of a single word. And so he starts off, in my first book, I told you Theophilus. And so Luke's actually writing, uh, we're assuming that Theophilus is a, a benefactor, someone who pays for Luke to do a historical record of this book. Uh, and so Theophilus is assumed to be the guy who's been commissioning Luke to write this. And he says, in my first book, Theophilus, I told you about everything that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling the people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up in a cloud while, while they were watching, and they could, see, they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you to heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Man, there is so much in that passage. It would take weeks, if not months, to try to explore what Luke was referring to, what the Holy Spirit was inspiring Luke to record. Um, in fact, Luke does tell us that Jesus did three things in his 40 days. Uh, he would tell us that he proved, there's four things. Um, he proved to them in many ways that he was alive. He talked about the promise of the power of the Holy Spirit. He talked about the purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the Great Commission. And he talked about the nature of the ways of the Kingdom of God. Now, there's some great sermon topics, hey? Uh, they, 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 they've got so much depth and, and um, content in those spaces. Um, let alone, there's a whole bunch of things that rattle around in my brain when I hear this. Um, question number one, I'm not going to answer this by the way. Where is heaven? Is heaven up? It's not down. Is it? Where is, and that's not answered in this question here. Uh, the actual word for heaven is, is actually the word sky. So, so it's, it's hard to know that is, is, is uh, Luke talking about a place? And that's a whole other conversation for a whole other time. Um, but it does rattle around in my mind, well, where was Jesus going? Um, and what's actually up there? And how do we get there? And a whole bunch of questions. Um, how, how, uh, I think it was Buzz Aldrin when he was uh, interviewed after he uh, returned from his um, moon mission. He, he said, I couldn't see heaven. You know, and so, so the assumption, if Jesus went up, how far up do you have to go to get to heaven? Is it, is it in the stratosphere or is it higher or further? Question that the scripture doesn't particularly answer. Um, 
And so other questions that sort of come to me as I look at that scripture is, uh, well, when will he return? How will he return? And I'm sure there's a lot of opinions and a lot of thoughts over centuries or millennia that have been exploring this topic. But these are some great, these are some things that are raised in my mind when I read about what Paul wrote about the ascension. And so, uh, uh, so next week we are going to be talking about the promise and the power of the Holy Spirit. Dave and I are going to tag team a message on Pentecost. And so we'd love you to join us for that. And so, but the first thing I want to explore this morning in the time that I have is to explore what, what some of what Luke mentioned, that he proved that he was alive. It said in the verse that he proved, uh, that 40 days, he proved that he was alive in many ways. Um, we've already listed on the screen the times he appeared to the disciples. And I wonder why was this important? If Jesus had 40 days left on earth, why did he choose to reveal himself um, uh, to, to his disciples? In Matthew chapter 28, we get a, maybe, maybe a bit of a glimpse to this. And so there's the scene is that Mary has just found the empty tomb, uh, and the other Mary. And so verse 11, as the women were on their way to go and tell the disciples that the tomb was empty, uh, some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priests what had happened. A meeting with the elders was called, and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, you must say, Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping and they stole his body. And if the governor hears about this, we'll stand up for you so you won't get into trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say. And their story spread widely among the Jews and they still tell it today. So most historians believe that Matthew, who wrote this gospel, wrote it in around about 70 AD. That's, that's about 27 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. So for at least 27 years in Jerusalem, there was some fake news being spread. From the time that, that the guards were bribed and Matthew wrote the record that says, and they're still telling it today. It shows me that, uh, that the culture, the society, the news media outlets were trying to spruik a message that was untrue. Now that never happens in today's world. Um, Look, Jesus knew. Jesus knew that he would be physically leaving his disciples behind. So he took the time to prove in many ways that he was alive, that he was very much alive. Because the word on the street was that they stole his body, that they, they smuggled his dead body away. So, so by proving to his disciples, including the 500, that he was very much alive, that was no doubt in their mind that Jesus had resurrected from the dead. And so, um, but there was something significant about the resurrection that I never really considered until I was preparing this message. Um, the, the idea of a physical resurrection. This is something that um, what was uncommon, it was not unheard of. In the Old Testament, we've got a few of them. We've got, next one there, thanks. We've got the resurrection of the widow's son in Zarephath. We've got the resurrection of the Sunamite son. We've got the resurrection of the man thrown into Elisha's grave. I believe in Scripture, I believe that those events happened. I believe that those three people rose again from the dead and they walked and lived among their family. So resurrection in the Old Testament wasn't an uncommon. 
common, well it was pretty uncommon, but it wasn't unheard of. And so then we come to the New Testament and we find Jesus performed three resurrections. We see he resurrected Jairus' daughter, we see he resurrected uh, the young man at a funeral service, and he also, the, probably the most famous resurrection of Jesus was uh, Lazarus. And then we come to this really weird one, I haven't really got too many thoughts around, that when Jesus died on the cross, but Matthew records that the graves were open, some of the saints were resurrected. Now I'm assuming that, that all those men in the New Testament, I'm assuming that they also lived and walked amongst people. I mean, I'm assuming that Lazarus would, would continue to hang out with Mary and Martha. I'm assuming that's what the, the nature of their physical resurrection did. And so uh, they would have had normal lives. And the reality is all of those, both Old Testament and New Testament, everyone who was resurrected, every one of them would die again. And so for the disciples, seeing Jesus for 40 days was awesome. It was brilliant. It was great. But without the ascension, Jesus could have been just like all of them. Bound to earth and bound to his earthly body. Without the ascension, they could have thought, well, Jesus, you're a bit like Lazarus, and, and maybe you will die again. I've never considered this. Maybe you have. And so for me, the ascension of Jesus, it proves once and for all to the disciples who Jesus truly was. He wasn't just an ordinary man who was resurrected because that had happened before and all those men had died again. Jesus was in fact who he claimed to be and he said it many times. And so, so this is where we go to the Gospel of John because this remains silent on the resurrection. But let's see what John has to say that can maybe help us process this whole ascension thing. And so uh, Jesus is having a conversation with John sometime before Jesus uh, rose again or died and rose again. And John would say this uh, to the disciples, But now I am going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I am going. Instead you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact it's best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. And if I do go away, then I will send him to you. Question, when Jesus is talking to his disciples about going away, is he talking about his death and resurrection? No. Because it's very clearly talking about, in verse 7, talking about the sending of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about which occurred when, when Jesus returned to heaven and then on the day of Pentecost, God would send the gift the Father had promised. And so Jesus is not talking about his death. He's talking about his ascension. It's, I find verse 7 really interesting because, and I've said this before about church, uh, yeah, wouldn't it be great if we had the real Jesus with us? We could ask him all our questions, show him our, our phones and ask him to fix all the glitches and the bugs, all the stuff that's going on. Now, no, you could do that. You could ask him. He'd be an apple guy, just saying. Um, if Jesus is with us, we could, uh, when we're sick, I mean, we've got a lot of sick people. Jesus, just come and can just lay hands on them and help them recover. Jesus, can you give us wisdom? I've got to deal with the situation, make a decision. Yeah, Jesus, can you help? But wouldn't it be great if Jesus was here? He could hang out with him. We could worship with him. We could, we could have meals with him. We could laugh with him. We could cry. Wouldn't it be great if the real Jesus was with us? 
And I'm sure the disciples would, would, have, would have been wanting and wanting the real Jesus. And so what's surprising in verse 7 is that Jesus says, no matter how good it is to have me with you physically, it's far better for you. It's best for you if I go away. And so whilst having a real Jesus in our world physically would be nice, Jesus said, you know what? It's better. It's better for you if I return to the Father. And we know we'll discover this next week when we talk about Pentecost, we'll discover why that is. And so um, for the disciples watching Jesus ascend, firstly, that'd be really unusual. Huh? I've seen some of the uh, illusionists on TV, um, you know, they're... Uh, I can't remember their names at the moment. All the illusionists, all the big ones. Anyway, just throw out some names for me. David Copperfield, Dynamo. They've all done some sort of levitating thing. They've also, there's a guy, always that circular key that we see that's levitating on a pole, you know, spray painted gold. We know what's going on there. We can tell the tricks. We, can, we know what's going on. And so, so watching the, um, the ascension of Jesus uh, rising, that would have been quite surprising. Would have been quite, oh, that's very interesting. Um, it would have been very unusual, yeah. It would have been uh, very sensational. <laughs> it would have been awe inspiring because, because what it does, it proves to the disciples that Jesus was who he said he was, that he wasn't just like every other resurrected man, that Jesus actually was something, someone very different. Um, and so he was who he said he was. He was doing what he said he would do. And uh, which is a, a wonderful thing that ascension proves to us. But I can't also help imagine there'd be a tinge of sadness. And now I'm just very mindful of, of Ken and Michelle with me with dad just passing this week and, and mum a month ago, was it? And I know that for us as Christians there, there is a, a joy because we know what the future holds. But there's sadness. There's sadness. I know there's sadness for you guys. We're praying for you guys. But many of us across the church family have lost loved ones who love the Lord. We know that there's a, it's good, but it's sad. And so I know when the, the disciples were, were watching Jesus rise again, they would, they would have been amazed and astounded and, and lost in awe. And, and this is just amazing. Jesus, you're so amazing. But it would have been a bit sad. Because, look, Jesus has his final words to his disciples, which both Luke and Matthew would indicate uh, that it's the Great Commission uh, to go into all the world, uh, to wait for the Holy Spirit to come and fill you with power. Um, Wait for the gift of the Father, and then go in that power to transform the world around you. And so, going back to uh, the passage in Luke, it says, "Sorry, in Acts." After saying these final words to his disciples, he was taken up into a cloud. While they were watching, they could no longer see him. And as they strained to see him rising to heaven, the two white men robed suddenly stood among them. Look at this verse. Actually, men of Galilee, they said, "Why are you standing here?" There? He is staring into heaven. Jesus has been taken from you into heaven. But someday he will return in the same way you saw him go. The angels, I'll try to imagine the scene. Jesus is gone. And we just, they don't know what to do. The disciples were thinking, 
I don't know what they were thinking. It was me up there thinking, what now? What the heck do we do now? I haven't got Jesus anymore to lead me, to help me. And I would be staring going, I don't know what I should do. And so in this place of uncertainty and, and awe and confusion and doubt, the angels, God, God says, okay, angels, these guys need some help. Uh, and so the angels come and they say, hey, guys, stop staring. Stop standing and stop staring. I, I can understand that they were in shock and awe. I can understand that they would have been sad for them because the one that had and lost and got back again and the one that thought, well, he's, he's, he's back from the dead, maybe he's going to remain and stay and now we're going to, all their promises and hopes and dreams, all of a sudden, yeah, it's great that he's going up. That's pretty cool. But what now? What do we do with that? And God sent the angels to say, guys, stop standing and stop staring. Can he help them? Well, the disciples were stuck. They were stuck. And I think there's many of us in life here today that get stuck as we consider our lives, get stuck on how we process what is going on in our world. And the ascension here reminds us that God is interested in us when we're stuck, when we're in a pickle, when we're, when we're facing situations that are uncertain or unknown, we weren't expecting any of this to happen, and our, our plan was this, but this happened. God is interested when we are stuck. And what He tells us, and He tells you and me today, if you're feeling stuck, it's time to stop standing and stop staring. It's time to stop just staying where you are and, I don't know what to do. It's too hard, it's too complicated, and I'm just going to stick my head in the sand. I'm just going to stare into heaven and just hope something works out. God will say to you, hey friends, it's time to stop standing and it's time to stop staring. It's time to do something. It's time to do something. And so God sends the angels to help. Help them understand what the ascension is all about. Friends, the ascension is an important part of the story of the church. And I don't know why we don't talk about it a lot. Um, and it could be that there's a lot of assumption that ascension, resurrection, it all sort of all works out. Um, anyway, so let, Luke puts it this way. So, so the angels come, and then the angels sort of get their attention of the disciples and say, stop standing, stop staring. And then we see in, uh, in Luke's account, he says, this is the gospel, when Jesus led them to Bethany, he lifted his hands to heaven, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he was taken into heaven. We read that bit in Acts. And they're saying, now what? Now what do we do? Because we're stuck. In verse 52, Luke tells us, so they worshipped him and they returned to Jerusalem filled with great joy. And they spent all their time in their temple praising God. Sometimes it takes a supernatural angel to come and say, you know, it's time for you to stop being stuck, stop staring, stop standing. It's time to worship. It's time to get on with it. It's time to move forward. It's time to, uh, in fact, it is time, but you see, because of what the angels, what Jesus already said to them um, before he ascended, yes, you're going to be stuck, but I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. Just, just in, in a few days' time, you will receive power to make you unstuck. That's for next week. I'm going to stick to this one. So what do we do with all of this? 
What do we do with the message or a sermon of the ascension that, that probably most of us have never thought much about? What do we do with this? Well, my response is I want to join my prayer with the Apostle Paul. And he put it this way. He said, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honour at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. I wonder, I wonder when Jesus was seated at the right hand of the Father. Was it when he died and rose again? Or was it when he ascended back to the Father? He went back into the kingdom. He went back into his realm. He went back, as Philippians would tell us, he laid aside his height, his, his throne in heaven, and he came and humbled himself in the form of a man. It was that realm that, I, that perhaps Jesus returned to. A place of authority. The one that he surrendered when he, when he came to earth, perhaps. And Jesus ascended back to heaven. He took the throne that was rightfully his. And uh, I'm going to switch to the message translation here because I love it. This is the, this is the, the, the reading of, of his ascended to the throne of heaven. And now he, this is Jesus, look at this. He's in charge of running the universe. Everything from galaxies to governments. No name and no power is exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He's in charge of it all. Has the final word on everything. At the centre of this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral, peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body, in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. Isn't that a powerful verse? We get a glimpse of where Jesus is right now, seated at the right hand of the Father. And because of his ascension, why is the ascension important? Because we can have confidence that Jesus is in control, that nothing is beyond his attention or his reach. There's no situation or circumstance that you are facing right now that he cannot make work together for good. There's nothing you're facing that God cannot meet you in and walk with you through and bring freedom and hope. That's why they're Ascension. I get excited. I'm now excited about Ascension Day. I reckon there's a whole market for cards. So if I get a graphic designer, we're going to make some cards. We're going to hand them out. Or maybe not. Out see, Ali's not here. I can do what I want. <laughs> She'll be back soon. So we're going to be quick. So, um, and Jesus said he'll be back soon as well. And that hasn't happened quite yet. Um, what I'm saying is because of Jesus' Ascension, we can have confidence in who he is. We can have confidence in where he is. We can have confidence that he is a big... In fact, Paul would tell us in Romans, um, who will then condemn us? No one. For Christ has died for us and was raised to life for us and he is sitting in the place of honour at God's right hand, pleading for us. He's saying having a conversation with God about you and me. I'd like to think that he's, he's brainstorming ideas with Father and saying, hey, this is... this." The, what, what can we 
do? Where can we bring grace? Where can we bring our presence? Where can we bring a miracle? Where can we bring deliverance? Where can we bring strength? Where can we bring healing? Come on, Father, let's find out what we can do. This, these people have faced a situation, the world, sickness and sin and disease, all that stuff. And in this time, well, in, in, between, in, in between my resurrection and ascension, in between the time where I return, what can we do about them? How can we... I think that's what he's doing. The Bible just tells me he's pleading. So you can, you can make up your own story there. <coughs> but I know that God is... Father God and Jesus is talking together about you and me. So as we wrap up today, let's, let, let's think about Ascension Sunday. Well, what, let, let's hold on to the truth about Ascension Sunday. Because let's remind, remember that Jesus is who he said he was. He is not just the resurrected king... He is the ascended king. He is placed high above all authority and power. And he rules and reigns. And I love the Bible tells me that we are seated in heavenly places with him. There's a whole thing that can blow our mind. He's the resurrected and ascended king. Let me tell you, Jesus is very much alive. He spent 40 days with his disciples proving it to them that he is very much alive. And Jesus has the final word on everything. I don't know what has been spoken over you. Jesus has the final word. It might be over your marriage, over your health, over your relationship, over your mental health, over your, your battle for identity. Let me tell you, I don't care what other people say of you. My Bible tells me Jesus has the final word. And for me, that's because of the resurrection. That there be the ascension of Jesus because he is placed in that place of authority. And also the ascension reminds me that Jesus is coming back. He is coming back. I don't know when. I don't know how. But I know he's coming back. And he's coming back with him to bring, to, to, well, to take possession, to take possession of his world and his people. And, uh, and the ascension of Jesus, the story of the ascension reminds me that he will return. And he'll come with the, the, the angels and the kingdom of heaven. And the, anyway, that's a whole other conversation as well, what that looks like. But he's coming back to restore everything to its fullness in God. So what do we do in the time of waiting? What do we do in the time of Jesus going up, if that's what happened? Or Jesus coming down, if that's what's going to happen? What, what do we do in that space? Well, the disciples face that. And what our, our role then is to, to understand the promise and the power of the Holy Spirit. This is how Jesus has called us to live in the time between times. The, the work of the Holy Spirit, His very presence. There's no longer one Jesus physically present. It's, it's Jesus' Spirit being physically, being physically present in every single one of us. And the power and the promise of the Holy Spirit was that we would take a message of good news to a world that is desperately in need of good news. A message of hope to a world that is feeling hopeless and lost and confused and dark. The church, you and I, have a message of Jesus, a resurrected and ascended King. So sharing the good news and to live our lives here as citizens of heaven, bringing heaven to earth as Jesus would talk, teach us to pray. One word I want to close on. Thanks, Owen. Does anyone know what that means? Come, Lord Jesus. 
This is the Apostle Paul, and he wrote to the Corinthians. He said, come on, Jesus. Yes, as Christians, we believe and we long for the coming, the return of Jesus. And Paul would say, come on, Jesus. And in the, time, in the meantime, let us do what we can, filled by his power, fueled by his very spirit inside of us, knowing because of the ascension that Jesus is who he said he was, that he has the final word, that he is seated in all places of authority. We are placed in that spiritual realm with him. Come, Lord Jesus. I'm going to pray. Jesus, this morning I thank you. Um, I thank you that you opened my eyes, perhaps, to something I've never seen before. And yet it's something I've always known. But Lord, I pray as we consider who you are, and we just consider even just today the, the nature of the fact that you return back to your place in the highest honour. Lord, we're so grateful that you came and died and rose again. And Father, we thank you that you took your son back to the place of honour. And this morning, Lord, I want to pray particularly for those who may be a little bit stuck like the disciples, staring into situations and circumstances that they don't know what to do. Seeming that you've left them, seeming that, that you've deserted them. Lord, I pray that they would have an experience, a supernatural experience that would tell them, like the angels did, it's time to stop standing, and it's time to stop staring, it's time to stop worshipping, and it's time to start going in the power of your spirit to communicate your kingdom to the world around us. So Lord, I pray you help us to process that. Even today as we go home and think about uh, our service and, and think about what the ascension means, Lord, I pray that we're reminded of who you are, where you are, and the, and the wonderful peace and strength and confidence we can have because you returned to heaven and we look in faith to your return. And we say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Alrighty, well that's it. Thank you to our online crew.